welcome to Get Real. My name is Josh Morgan, aka the Renovating Realtor. And I'm Gavin Townsend, longtime real estate investor with a background in education in the arts turned licensed sale professional. We're two realtors in the Western New York area who love talking all things real estate. We cover a wide variety of topics with an aim to educate and entertain you. No matter your role as a buyer, seller, investor, enthusiast, or another real estate professional. You can trust that we're always going to be upfront and honest no matter what topic we're discussing. So listen up and get ready to, to get, get real. Today we are talking about home inspections, Gavin, and we have uh, Mike Mullen with Dwell Shore Inspections uh, with us today. He's been inspecting thousands of homes in our community for quite a long time and other communities as well, helping hundreds and thousands of families, um, homeowners and home buyers, uh, sort out the nuances of home inspections and what is to do about them and what's not to do about them. Um, Mike, thank you for being with us today. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate being here today. Super psyched that Mike made time for us because Mike's obviously my favorite home inspector, but one of my favorite people too. So I know that we're going to have a lot of great anecdotes and stories today, and uh, we've got some things that we want to cover to be informative um, to our audience out there. But I really want to get into the point where Mike tells us some of his really good stories. Yeah, because so. obviously, you know, <laughs> every transaction is unique, right? And you're a key part of every transaction that involves a home inspection. And I think there's always something to discover when you go through a home and when you go through it in as much detail as you go through it. So we're hoping to get some of those stories, but we're gonna cover things like what is a home inspection? When do you do it? Uh, who does it? What does it tell you? And, and along those lines. But I mean, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you come to home inspections? What did you do before this? What, what's going on here? Well, uh, out of high school, I ended up going out west and uh, I was a finished carpenter, finished framer for a while in Wyoming, the state of Wyoming. Cool. Um, then I came back to Western New York, and I was a form setter for a while for a concrete company. And, That's uh, huge. You got to be a good carpenter if you're going to do concrete work. You have to be in shape for sure. <laughs> with yeah. that. One of the hardest jobs I've ever had. And you're still walking normally. You seem to get around all right. <laughs> a little bit. I've seen some people that have done some concrete, and they're like, oh boy. <laughs> I was 19 at the time, and I would come home from work, and I was so tired I could barely put the fork to my mouth. Oh my God. Some days it was that bad. <laughs> so I have a lot of respect for concrete workers for sure. Yeah. Um, after that, uh, I ended up. Um, Signing up for the exam for the fire department and uh, got on that and I was uh, spent 20 years as a firefighter and uh, After that I knew that when my 20 years was coming up I wanted to do something different because I figured I had another almost another career length of time that I could do it So I looked into home inspection and uh, they were just starting to talk about getting licensing in New York so the week after I retired from the fire department I had uh, registered to take some course, the uh, home inspection course in Connecticut, because they didn't have it in New York yet. Oh. So I went out there, got my uh, all the certifications, and I have one of the very first numbers, the very first licenses in New York State for home inspection. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So what were they doing for home inspectors if we didn't have that professional development here? How was how was that working then? Well, they did have them. They just weren't licensed. Okay. So they, there wasn't, uh, you know, uh, standards of practice that they would follow, okay. that type of a thing. So. Um, that's what it was, and it was far and few between when people did home inspections, but they did occasionally. Uh, which is funny, our first house that we bought in 1985, we purchased a house, uh, it was $33,000. That's how far awesome. long ago yeah. it was. <laughs> but uh, back then, we actually had a home inspection. Cool. Yeah, okay. yeah, we had to get somebody out of Rochester, but he was one of the few guys in Western New York. But it was important to me back then. Yeah. And uh, so that's something I really wanted to do. And so I did that, and I've been inspecting full-time now for uh, 19 years. Wow. So I'm going to closing in on two 20-year careers. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Any, any signs of stopping? I don't know. No, no, yeah, not yet. <laughs> Sometimes my body doesn't want to keep going, but my mind does. So that's, I'm what Gav, there. that's what Gavin and I like to hear. No, that's what matters. Stopping. No, Mike's still not gonna going be, anywhere. It's still going to be available. I love it. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And so it seems, though, is like that's a linear that's a linear path, right? You know, from construction to firefighting to home inspection. But did it feel like that when you were going when you were in it, going through it? 
No, you know what's funny? Um, <laughs> it didn't. I, I did code enforcement. I mean, we took okay. all the five courses as firefighters. They trained us in that, so I had some background in that. But uh, when I started out as a home inspector, I had no mentors whatsoever, so it was sink or swim. That's crazy. And at the time I did it, we had two daughters at Cornell at the same time, um, which was like, man, this is a crazy time to be. <laughs> Take this on. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I was hanging onto a platform for 20 years at the fire department, and then all of a sudden I had to swim away from it. So I had mm. to swim quickly. Mm. And uh, But it all worked out. It really did. And as much as I've done, you know, I've done almost 7,000 inspections now. I've been doing it 20 years. There's oh, still know. room to learn things. And I do every every week. I'm always reading trade journals and, and so on. And I see new things every week. And I keep my open mind, which is really important. I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. And I always learn something on Mike's home inspections. Um, he knows I'm a geek with all that. You well, want to you want to learn about this, Gav? Yes, I do. Tell me all about it. Well, so, yeah, absolutely. It's I'm awesome. never, whenever somebody's about to bestow knowledge on me, I'm never going to say, no, I don't, I don't really care about that. No, absolutely. Tell me something, right? Yeah. And you've inspected our, our house, too. Yes. We, you know, yeah. we bought a house across town, and, and you were the... That you were the guy, and that was it. I didn't, you know, it was like, all right, we need a home inspection. We need someone to come through. Mike Mullen's the guy, and you were very helpful, educational, and you always are trying to, you know, teach people yep. and inform people, which is what we like to do. So that's also another reason why why we really wanted to have you today. Yeah. yeah. So why don't we get into, um, you know, what is a what is a home inspection? Well, how does that work? What's going on? Well, um, basically a home inspection is if somebody's purchasing a house and um, before they make the final commitment to it, you know, they'll sign a purchase offer and um, it'll be have a contingency usually that'll be a home inspection, a successful home inspection. So there is no pass or fail on a home inspection. Uh, it's just a knowledge-based report that I give to them. And um, it basically lets them know if there's major issues or and it also gives them a planning document so they can look at things over the next probably five to ten years of things that hey you need to start saving for a furnace even though it's working well and so on um, that's what it is it's just um it's just a, a process of going through a home before somebody buys it yeah and so so it covers what like what systems what what do you cover in your home inspections yeah, uh, basically, you know, looking at it from the street, I would start with uh, the outside. You know, I look at the roof, uh, the siding, the exterior foundation, the driveway. Detached structures aren't part of a home inspection. Uh, from there uh, into the house, I would check the electric panel. I pull the electric, and uh, then it's the onto the furnace, and I check the, uh, the air conditioning, the heating system. Um, then uh, from there, the plumbing system. Uh, then I go all the way to the attic. I check insulation, ventilation, uh, and then I work down through all the bedrooms. I check windows, all the receptacles in the house. I'm looking for open grounds, reverse polarities. Uh, then I, uh, plumbing fixtures in the bathrooms, showers, pressures in showers, loose toilets, um, down into the uh, kitchen area, and that's the last stop. You know, check the appliances that are part of the that stay with the house. So you've really got a system. I do, it's, as everybody knows, and I well, remind everybody. Well, and we talk about it, too. We talk about it a lot on the realtor side and on everybody's side. So if any professional usually develops a system, and that's what usually allows them to be consistent and deliver um, you know, superior quality right, of service. Right, the sequence of events superior so you're not missing anything. Superior quality of service so you don't miss anything. And, and that your oration of what you do on your process just demonstrates that you have an extremely defined process when you go through a house. And I've watched you do it multiple times. It's amazing to just follow you. And not that I'm, I don't try to hover, right? <laughs> but it's like, it's really interesting to see what you're looking at, what you're looking for, um, because it's helpful. It's always helpful to know when you walk through a house or to our house, you know, even before we get to that point, it was like, hey, you might want to watch out for this. It's not my area of expertise. You should get a home inspection, but that's it's really really interesting to to hear all of that. So there's a um, just talking about blending two different careers in the fire department. When you pull up to a fire and you have to check a building, you do what's called you have two things. It's called a primary search, which is all hands on deck. You go into the building, you do a quick primary search, make sure no one's in there, and then you have what's called a secondary search. Well. My inspection is basically a secondary shirt search. Okay. I go into a house, and if it's pitch black and you have a lot of smoke, you have to go in and you start with your left hand on a wall, 
and you go all the way around till you come back out, you're going to end up okay. at the same door you came in. Yeah. If you guys notice that, that's what I do on every floor. Okay. I go to the top of the stairs. I start with my left hand, and I go through everything. Okay. If somebody pulls me off to the right and says, you got to see this now, I always tell them I'll be there I'll in be just there. two minutes. That's incredible. Yeah, so that's what it came, okay. that's what it came from, okay. and it's one of those things where uh, it's never failed me in the fire department, and it's a time-honored tradition of doing secondary searches, so that's how I do it with the, uh, the home inspections, too. And I love that. you Didn't definitely that. get all of the information that you should get, and it produces... I've seen your reports, and they're awesome. They're amazing. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate they're it. They're really, really detailed as well. And they just, so you classify um, findings, right, in your report? Yes. How do you, how do, you do that? What? They're, um, well, they're, they're grouped into systems. So uh, you'd have exterior, you'd have roof and uh, mechanicals, heating system. They're grouped into that. But also as far as the priorities, as far as whether something is a, a major issue or not, I prioritize items for the, the buyer, and the high-priority items will be in red print and kicked to the front of the report. Yeah. So that's usually health and safety issues, electrical issues, those type of things. Just reiterating what Kevin and I have said in previous episodes as well, you know, health and sa safety, code, health, all of those things, those are the, the most important things that you should be paying attention to, possibly asking for in a, in a PINA agreement. So just... Just reiterates the point there. Yeah, there's. It's not always health and safety that I prioritize. I'll just give you an example. Yeah. Some of the things you need on day one of ownership, hot water is one of them. Yeah. So if I go in and there's a non-working hot water heater, that's a priority item. It's not. It's not a safety. It's item. not necessarily safety not or code, item. but you got to have it. Yep. And same with a working well, working furnace, those type of things. So those things get you know they become priority items even though they aren't one of those. Yeah, yep. okay. that makes sense. What would you say, Mike, are the typical discoveries? Now, I know there's no one home inspection that's the same, but what's kind of your top five greatest hits of what you're seeing when you're doing these inspections? Yeah, uh, I would say the, the top one, and you guys have probably seen it, is uh, electrical. Yeah. And people, when they look at houses, even if they have Uncle Joe with them that's an expert electrician, they can't pull that cover off the panel until it's an official home inspection. Right. And even if you could pull it off, you know, the average person isn't going to know what they're looking at. But that's a big thing. And uh, so we, that's a big discovery. Uh, sometimes uh, organic growth in the attic, I'm not supposed to use the word mold. Correct. Organic growth. <laughs> yep. But um, you find that. And that's usually a surprise for people. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of times when people haven't opened up the hatch to the attic in the 20 years they've lived there. Sure. And so it's a big surprise for the seller uh, and for the buyer. But it's a good catch to find those things. So I would say electric uh, uh, heating system issues, um, uh, as far as perforated pipes, mm -hmm. those are obviously, mm -hmm. you know, uh, as far as carbon monoxide issues, backdrafting, hot water heaters, those are health and safety items too, but those are the big ones. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And all of those, uh, for the most part, can be remedied. I mean, there's there's opportunities for the, the homeowner to mitigate that or whatever uh, was put into the the offer if the buyers are going to take responsibility. But what are some things you might come across sometimes that are like, ugh, you, I, and I know you don't ever tell a buyer, run. <laughs> right. But I know, having done so many inspections with you and you've, you've done thousands more, what are some things that you're just, that's not going to be mitigated quickly, and this is probably not going to move forward with a sale? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, there are some properties out there where there's just no way to fit a square peg in a round hole. And, uh, you know, you go to a house, it might be a rural property that has a, just a really significant foundational issues, and the, the buyer might be an FHA buyer. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, you're going to run into a problem. I try to let them know that during the inspection, when there's some, I, it was probably about a month ago I had one in Genesee County, and I told the people as I was going through the inspection, you know, you guys are FHA, There's this is going to be a real problem, this foundation. And I kept telling them, if you want me to stop, let me know, and I'll prorate it for the next place, you know, that you get. Makes sense, because there, there's no way in heck that was going to get fixed, probably. Yeah. Which so, is an amazing offer. <laughs> so I, yes, it is. And uh, one of their fathers grabbed them, brought them outside, because he was with me during the inspection of the basement, and he, they had a sidebar and said, we're, we're going to stop it. And uh, so they did, and the, the, the person buying was actually really upset because people get tied in emotionally to purchases. And she started crying because she had had her hopes. It was going to be their first home. Oh. 
but it's good to catch and these things. And that's hard too. First time home buyer, FHA lending. I mean, you know, I love first time home buyers. I just really do. I like to help them with the process and talk to them about homes and so on. But uh, yeah, those type of things, you're not going to fix that. It doesn't mean that that house isn't sellable. It just means it's not going to be the right buyer for there. And eventually, every house does sell, mm-hmm. one way or the other. And if it ends up being a non-mortgageable right. property, somebody steps in with cash and buys in, and it might turn out to be something else. But uh, they're far and few between where okay. people literally walk away. I would say maybe every, uh, every three months, I might run across one. So it's not that often. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and I think a home inspection is an incredible, from a value standpoint, it's incredible value, especially, you know, it, it's, you pay, you know, whatever it is, four or $500 or something like that, right? It, yeah. it changes with the property, right? Yeah, in Genesee County now, you know, under 2,500 square feet is 375, outside of Genesee County is 400, right. and uh, radon testing is 150. And uh, that includes a trip you have to drive back. It sits for 48 hours, and it includes the uh, shipping it to the lab and all the processing fees, too. So this is obviously a cost, but it could save you... I mean, you don't want to make a $100,000 mistake, I would call it, right? I mean, a money pit, like the foundation issue, right? I mean, that could be tens of thousands of dollars, Um, right? Absolutely. And I told those people, I said, you may not see it today, (laughs) but this was the best $375 you're probably ever going to pay anybody for. And again, you might have a different kind of buyer, like you said, if, if, if they're a cash buyer or something and they have the wherewithal or they're a contractor or something, it's not that the home's not saleable. But again, we always have to be cognizant of who the client is, who the buyer is, what the financing is, what their hopes and dreams are. I'm sure they were thinking they were going to be moving right in on a typical closing in 60 days. And fortunately, you were able to give them some information that, um, you know, let them make the best decision for themselves. Right. And, and one of the things... Um that I like to do is, you know, when there's realtors with me during inspections, I try and talk the entire time, yeah. basically two hours I'm talking. So they get to understand what are issues with foundations so that down the road when they're bringing a buyer through, they'll know, you know what, this might not be the best house for you with the type of mortgage you're getting because they're very stringent. Exactly. And then you match them up with uh, something that might be a better fit for them. And that, that falls to the realtors and the, the, the re- good realtors, you guys, uh, take care of that. Yeah, and I like to think that, especially with first-time home buyers, right? Because sometimes they just don't know. Is that I always like to think that I want your home ownership, your your first step into home ownership, to be a blessing, and not a curse. Yeah. And so I think maybe that you're along those same lines when Absolutely. you kind of advise people along what you're finding, because you don't want to get into a house a first-time home buyer and then just be like. Oh my goodness, I should have just stayed renting. Like now I have to deal with all these problems. Now it's just a money pit. If I sell it, I can't sell it. And then it just, you spiral. Yeah. You know, especially if you've used all of your money to just get into this property. No question. But also, you know, I think we, no matter what, if you're a first time home buyer or experienced buyer or somebody that's doing a flip or a rental or something, you know, there's a fit for everybody. And, uh, Homes mean maintenance. The, the minute that you're a homeowner, it is maintenance. And so That's having that, I like what Mike said just a little bit ago. It's not just that immediate home inspection to see if you're moving forward with a purchase, but it's also a planning document. You use the word planning document. Right. And um, anyone that's been on a home inspection with Mike knows that the clients then emerge with a great binder um, with the report, any other documents you want to put in there so that they're trying to collect. And, you know, you know Mike kind of instills that. Keep tabs on all these things, have a system that you're collecting information. Um, Mike also provides a great homeowner's manual, especially for those that might might, might not understand a maintenance schedule of a home, right. things like that. So I like that you look at it in terms, Mike, as a planning document, as much as an immediate, am I getting through the hoop of the transaction? Right. Yeah. I still have mine. I still have my binder. I still have my binder. It's in. Uh, I keep it in my files. So, yeah, that's yeah. great. It's yeah. all. It's all good information to look back at and be like, ah, oh, what did what did we say about this? And then you know, like you said, your maintenance schedules that you provide as well is great. Right. We know in this area we have what I call an aging inventory of homes. For sure. Um, is there something, Mike, that you see differences between? Because a lot of times we get on the agent side of things. Well. I only want a new home because they, and new here, we have to really qualify that. We don't have a lot of new builds, but uh, newer to me means 2000 to present perhaps. 
Um, is there a misconception you think, Mike, out there? I'd that... even go older than that, like in <laughs> the like eighties, like maybe, 80s right? Is, you know, do you feel that there's a misconception? Uh, oftentimes, I do that folks that feel that's about the year that it was built, and therefore it's going to be a, a better quality home. Would you run into these things just because it's old doesn't mean it's bad? I don't run into it, but I have personal feelings about it. Okay, I really yeah, do. I want to know. You made me laugh. I had a week uh, last year in my, I was like, God, it was one old house after the other. <laughs> my average age for that week was 18, like 68. Excellent. I had, wow. I, had I think, on. four or five houses that week. One was like 1825, 1840, and 1880, and 1865 was one after wow. the other after the other. Okay. And I have a brother who's a home inspector in Kentucky. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, it's uh, in the family. So he looks at anything uh, <laughs> 1960 and older. Yeah, I was going to really say, different market altogether. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's completely different. He's down near the Bowling Green area where there's a oh, lot yeah, of beautiful. new construction. Yeah. He's a retired firefighter also. Awesome. Yeah. See, it's all in the family. Yeah. yeah so, so what are your thoughts? You're like, oh boy, I'm going back to Civil War era all this week. Not at all. No, <laughs> I don't have any, there's no age, well, there's certain ages of homes that I uh, that have certain problems. Sure. Um, they got really good at doing insulating in the 90s, <laughs> but they did. They weren't that. Um, Until then. Uh, yeah, uh, they weren't <laughs> really good with the ventilation. Oh, okay, so okay. I looked at places, and sometimes some of the 90s homes will have some organic growth, mm -hmm. where in the 2000s they said, okay, we need to ventilate this a little better. So I see that. There's no question, you know, they're good builds and so on, but just it's just an issue with uh, the ventilation. But I have some, you know, favorite years Okay. Like, this is, you know, it's the 1910s and the 1930s. In is that because okay. of the construction methods that they're using? Oh, okay, tell us more. Yeah, is there was, something about that? It is. What? It's uh, they use what's called nominal wood back then. So a two by four, you know, today it is it was yeah. a real two by four, and uh, a lot of it was craftsman style, which was one of my favorite architectural yeah. styles. Overhanging soffits. Yeah. Um, that's where you see most of the, the big posts on the front porches, right? You know, the square, the square tapered posts. Yeah. You know? So it's not only that I, I fell in love with the architecture of that period, but those houses are just, they're they're just really built. Like, you can't believe. Stout. Stout. Yeah. That's a great word for it. The foundations, mm -hmm. around 1900, they switched from uh, stone foundations to block. Okay. Okay. Give or take a, a few years there, but um, so then you get some some of the really good foundations then, and uh, they're just really good. High ceilings in the basement. Mm -hmm. um, American four square is probably my favorite design. Yes. Love this. love them too. I know yeah. they would have a basement and or sorry they would have a bathroom in the basement. They come off the the muck farms and they would go into the basement and and do all that. I love those homes. Yeah, I think um, the modern taste or a lot of the clients that I work with now. You know, they're thinking about that first floor bedroom, and that's typically problematic for that style home. But personally, right. it's one of my favorites. Yeah, no, yeah. you're right about that. And once in a while, you'll see people convert a, uh, a uh, reception area into a bedroom yes. if they need to. But, yes. uh, but I, I actually, I, I love, there isn't any type of home or age of home or style of home that I don't really appreciate for what it is and uh, enjoy inspecting them. Yeah. yeah. Now I want to take it back just a step. You said something. You said stone to block, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, when you say stone, I mean, it can mean a lot of things to different people, right? So, what's, what is, when you see a stone foundation, what are you talking about? Yeah. So, basically, it's a, uh, it's a, they would take field stone yep. and put it together with mortar. And if you look at it from, you know, the, the depth of it from front to back is, you know, normally between 18 and 20 inches deep, you know, at the grade level. Pretty thick. Well, what people don't know is it actually gets much deeper as you go down. Right. So it, it, it tapers out, widens out at the bottom. So at the bottom, it wasn't unusual to be two to three feet thick in some spots down there. Because did they have typical, did they have footings under the buildings then? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. So what people run into a problem with sometimes is they said that, you know, they think, since this basement is kind of shallow, I'm going to dig down. Well, without the deep footers, they sometimes dig down to the edge of a, a stone footer, and you really shouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because now, modern, more modern techniques, you have you have a footing, and then you have maybe a narrower wall now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you had an 8-inch eight, eight block wall, you'd normally be expecting a 16-inch footing, basically double the width. We can't see that. Yeah. You know, it's below the ground. Uh, and then, you know, with newer construction, you have interior perimeter drains, exterior perimeter, perimeter drains, the drain into a crock inside the house with a sump pump. Yeah. And that's the most modern construction you see. 
talking about old techniques of building, um, if you look at some older houses from the 1800s when you see the really tall, narrow windows, mm -hmm. you can tell that's what's called balloon construction. Right. If you're familiar with that. Yep. Yeah. But that's when they had old growth timber and two by fours were readily available that were 20, 30 feet long. And they just go rip. They <laughs> would build one yeah. wall that would be the first and second floors and yep. they'd have a team and they would lift that up. Incredible. But the problem with it, you know, again, it goes back to firefighting. If you have a attic fire sometimes in an older house like that, the oh, or it's all related. The origin of the fire is in the basement. It goes right up the oh, sides. Okay. So there's no right fire stops. There's, yeah. no right. there's no blocking in the walls. No blocking in no the walls. So, and I, I let people know that yeah. that have balloon construction. I let them know that you know there might have been some uh, remodeling or installation done in the past that they've put some fire breaks. But it's a good thing to realize and know. You don't have to go out and tear your walls apart. But it's good to know that there's that potential for a basement fire to turn into a, an attic fire. Balloon construction is yeah. always interesting to me because in the so I volunteer with Habitat and we've seen some balloon constructed houses and you're like you tear the ceilings out and you're like and you're looking <laughs> up through the floor and you're like how are these how are they hung like it's just hanging there and it's got block it's like blocking it's just sitting on there there's no like there's no headers or anything beams and it's like. It's still standing. But so they're still it, there. My parents' yeah. Italian eight. There it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's still there, 1860s. With all these older homes, too, and we were kind of talking about the base basements and bases of homes, we know that we still have a lot of partial um, and dirt floor basements in this area. And so that presents and something that, I, that comes across in this area a lot, right on. Um, can you speak a little bit about that, Mike? Because some people from out of area don't have a clue what we're talking about. They don't have those issues. But we still certainly run into this quite a bit because of the older foundations and dirt floors, et cetera. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be an older foundation to have okay. high rate on levels. Okay. Uh, it has more to do with geography, you know, where the location is and the ge geology that's underneath the soil. Um, it's basically a breakdown. And weren't you a geologist? I was. Come on. This guy is everything. That's awesome. <laughs> it, was, it was my major in college. Yeah. It's perfect. So I'm a bit of a nerd. You've probably t heard me talk about Medina Sandstone Yes. Houses. Oh, we love it. Every time we saw it on one of the houses we just inspected a couple weeks ago. There it is. Yeah. yeah. So I'm always trying to point out to buyers <laughs> that this is the stone you have, just in case you wanted to know what it was. Exactly. Um, so getting back to the radon, we are in a high area uh, for radon. Mm -hmm. The Genesee County average is like 7.7. .7. Wow. Pico carries per liter. Four? You, you want to be under yeah. four. Yeah. And people wonder, you know, how is it okay to have 3.9, but 4.0, I need to get a mitigation system. The EPA had to set Something. a cutoff. Try on, draw a line somewhere. They did, and right. that's what they picked. Yeah. So, you know, when we do radon testing, if it's, you know, close to 3.9, I always tell people, you know, it, it's passing, but you may want to do a test down the road yourself. So getting back to the basements, yeah, dirt floors, uh, it can migrate through the dirt floor easier than concrete, but um, by all means, you can have a concrete basement floor and still have high radon levels. Unbelievable. So yeah. that's one of my things. You know, folks always think newer is better. Sure. Um, and not necessarily. Like you said, it's really a geological thing here, more so than anything else. Let me, I'll tell you one really illustrative uh, inspection I did for radon. So it's a housing development in Genesee County. And there's the houses are pretty high-end ones. And I did a test of one. And uh, it was 2.4, so it passed. And I did another test across the street, and it was 53. What? So I said, wow. this can't be right. I was using continuous radon monitor okay. monitors at the time, so I had uh, the ability to do tests to know what the reading was every hour. So I did testing in both places again, 2.4 and 53, you know, the same thing. And what it ended up, what it had to have been was there was a fissure underground where the okay. radon gas was coming up into the one basement. Unbelievable. Same builder, same type of construction. You'd never, ever know. And they were you could hit one house with the other with a rock. So that's why when they talk about radon, there's no way of knowing except testing that individual house. Got it. There's some places like Caledonia where you really do need to test each, you know, an individual house. You can't go by a neighborhood. Like I was saying, in Caledonia, there's uh, quite a bit of radon out there. So... 50% of all, actually, I'm going to take this back, 80% of the tests out there come back high. Interesting. But 50% okay. of the ones that come back are over 20 picocuries per liter. So it's not only that there's a ton of it, 
it's there's a ton of it at a high level. Okay. So I so would, it's actually pretty. It's common. It is common. Genesee so, County. Yeah, yeah. It really so is. So it's just common. I think people don't think about it, and it's just kind of out of sight, out of mind. Type and thing. it's always fixable. That's the thing. I mean, yeah. a mitigation system. Um, it's nothing you have to live with. I mean, you can get it fixed and you know, live safely in any house. How often do you see folks, and we'll get into a little bit, you know, the changes in home inspections in recent years and what people were doing and not doing, but when somebody does have that radon test, um, do you see the mitigation systems installed? Are you going into homes often and seeing them already there and being pleasantly surprised? Yes. Okay, that's good. Uh, Yeah, uh, you know, they weren't really testing for radon, you know, uh, probably within the last 20 years it really started. So most of these houses that have... A radon system and would have been sold probably at some point where they had an inspection and done that. Okay. There are, you know, I know Genesee County has supplied radon packets for, uh, they go, they have, depending on funding, they have them available at different times. People might have done tests oh, on okay. their own. Yeah. Their property was never for sale, but they ended up getting a mitigation system put okay. in. Okay. Yeah. I, I see them, um, you know, but few and far between, I have to say. And a lot of times when you're having a conversation with your client of what home inspections do you want to do and include in the offer, a lot of times I'm seeing in recent years um, that, you know, they're not often doing the radon tests and you try to counsel to that. But also, Mike, as we know in recent years, people were apting not to do a home inspection at all. That kind of the crazy years, as we'll call them. Can we pick your brain about that a little bit? Because uh, there's some wild times back then. They really, I mean, back when it was really uh, when nobody was getting them and the market was incredibly hot. Um, I did what was called a walk and talk inspection. I offered those at the time. They really should have been run and gun. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. they would, um, especially in the Rochester market, they had so many people that were signed up to do, uh, you know, to look at the property. They would have 30-minute windows, and I would come in and do basically trying to do a home, entire home inspection. While you're showing the home, while the agent's showing the home. Exactly. But then they upped, they upped it. They upped the ante to 15-minute windows. Unbelievable. So I, I was, remember it. I was trying to do a full, what I would do in two and a half hours in 15 minutes. So oh. I would show up, and they wouldn't let you on the property. I would show up with my sneakers on, fully caffeinated. Ready to go, and they'd say go, and everybody'd run into the house. The uh, buyers would be with the agent. I'd be going every different direction, and uh, trying to let them know if they should be putting an offer in or not. Unbelievable. Stressful times, it really was. Very stressful. So when I guess when is a good time? When is the opportune time to contact you for a home inspection? Because that's kind of always the dance, right? It's like, yeah, we'll have them on deck, but you know, we didn't get an accepted offer yet, but. Yeah, well, normally, you know, my, my schedule changes all the time, um, but normally uh, as soon as somebody gets an accepted offer would be the time to call me, like immediately. Yeah. And I can usually, if they say we've got, you know, it used to be seven to ten days. Right, it's now five. it's three to five. Yeah. yeah, and I can usually get it in that window. It's very rare that I can't these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's um, tight. So after accepted offer is really just the I- ideal ideal time uh, and i can give them a quote and uh, talk about you know what they're interested in and let them know what the inspection's all about and so on yeah and i think you know contacting mike immediately or or whichever home inspector you want to work with sooner than later is a good idea again because the home inspector's schedule changes just like an agent i've done all around but what i have found in in recent years and, and mike knows this i'm actually calling him at the time i'm doing the offer because we're building that period yep. into the offer. So when traditionally the, the time frame was seven to 10 days and you thought we got all the time in the world, people want a home inspection done. What if the guy over here says five days and my offer looks better for my, my client? If we do the two to three, I got to make sure that Mike's here and ready to do that. Right. So I think sooner is always the better, especially when you still find in this market, depending on the the popularity of the listing that we're still in multiple um, offer scenarios and very competitive for buyers. Absolutely. I think you got to think about that for sure. But what I'm very relieved with is the fact that the home inspection is back. Um, There was a time when, you know, you're, you're, you're competing for these very popular listings with interest rates very low and people not building those contingencies into their offer at all and waiving a home inspection, even waiving septic and well inspections, depending on where you are, because not every county can do that. But um, I'm glad to know that we're, we're at the point where it's back and it's, it's prevalent. And I'm sure that made you scratch your head a little bit, Mike, for a long time where people 
calling you for a home inspection after the fact. They were. They were. More than you'd be surprised at how many. And uh, they all didn't turn out well. Sometimes they did. Ah. I would get calls and uh, people would say, I, I, there's no way I can get a home inspection, but we're closing on Friday. So can you come out on a Monday? And uh, some of them, I did one property in particular, it was in Penfield. And it was over $500,000 house. The guy met me on the porch. And the first thing he said to me, all right, don't beat me up. He goes, I, we already paid for this place. So I went in, and within the first 20 minutes, I had hit $40,000 in stuff that needed to get done. Oh, my God. He uh, was sick about it. Man. There was some hidden stuff that was, that was absolutely hidden. I was on the outside of the property, and I saw water coming out of a wall. Oh, God. And I went inside, and uh, it was underneath the sink. It had been leaking for an incredibly long time. I pulled back the carpet in the kitchen. The entire maple floor had to be redone. Oh. The sill plate was completely destroyed. Um, and there was electrical issues and so on. Thankfully, uh, he and his wife both had really good jobs. And he told me that. He goes, we're going to be able to absorb this. But like Josh was saying earlier, not everybody can absorb those things. Right. It sets you back on your heels for years. Sure. Something like that. So they're going to be okay. But... Yeah, those are some of the uh, pitfalls of not having an inspection. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. just to have the information, again, all different buyers at different levels, be it your first time buying a home or, again, a high price tag, you know, right. a, a big on that, good for them that they're able to today observe that. But what happens when the market changes or their job situation or life changes? And it's, it's a risk. Well, and I think that's right. another good illustration of you know, there is no discrimination about, you know, high price, low price, mid price. It There's problems with homes. Good point. Of all price ranges. Absolutely. It's same thing, you know, in automobiles, you know, people think, oh, it's a new car, it'll be fine. It's like, yeah, yeah there's problems with everything. There's problems with new vehicles, there's problems with old vehicles. You know, you have warranties on new vehicles, sure, but it's just new houses, old houses, they all have issues at some point or another it's just what issues are they and can you deal with them right yeah i i'll just give you another example i had one home that this was probably 10 years ago and back then that was eight hundred thousand in the rochester area oh my god parenton wow. area pittsford oh yeah and it was a new development that was going up and so I, they called me to do the inspection and the people were flying up from florida for the home inspection oh, boy. so they pulled up at the front and i was at the side of the house looking at Half of the siding of this house was on the ground. And I'm like, what? And it was hardy plank, which is, oh, I don't know if yeah. you guys know what that is. Yeah. Beautiful siding, mm -hmm. made out of cement. Yeah. So I'm looking at this, and the siding, I kept looking at it. I'd touch it, and more of it would fall off. I went through the whole thing. It was unbelievable. But they had used a nail gun at the highest pressure they should. Broke it all. Broke it all. Oh. And, but you can't, you wouldn't, it was still hanging there. But once you were to touch it at all, it was, was falling away. Oh, my God. So um, there was other issues with that house, too. But, I mean, today that property would have been well over a million dollars. Sure. Go, going to your point, Josh, it just doesn't matter what property it is. And uh, the crazy thing about that was the general contractor came over and was looking at it. And he started, you could tell, he was just, like, processing this in his mind. <laughs> and he started to look at the other buildings next door. And they yeah, were all the like same that. subcontractor that was oh. installing Hardy Plank and all these. There was no reusing the stuff. That's got to be no, millions of dollars of liability. Yes. It's unbelievable. He goes, I got to go make some phone calls. And he walked away. I mean, because what's the cost of vinyl side of house, right? I mean, 15000 somewhere Considerably in that, different. Somewhere in there. It is different. It's a different process, right? right? But I mean, when you talk about the materials and the labor it would cost to put that material back on the house, I mean, yeah. and multiple houses, and I mean, millions. And you can't use that anymore. I mean, because the back was actually, when you flip it over, yeah. it was blown right out. It was like an exit wound from a gun. Hundreds of thousands oh, of dollars God. in liability probably and he, that people are gonna just as we were looking there i mean there was development. five houses that right within oh. there that were all sided recently and because they, if i'm a neighbor of that house i'm gonna be like <laughs> what I'm about touching my siding <laughs> with your hand just pull the siding right off oh, oh my goodness, goodness. And, and there was more issues with the house I mean, there was a massive bathroom with no heat ducts in it and yeah. just crazy stuff like that <laughs> But the people were, they were glad they came up from Florida to check that out. I bet so. I bet so. Um, I'm sure you have more stories about that, Mike, in regards to sight unseen. We were having a lot of that during right. COVID and uh, 2000 until recently where people, and I still see it, people are looking for homes, they're coming in and out of state, and they'll say, if the offer is accepted, then I'll show up for the home inspection. What, you know, 
Yeah. I'm not going to say what are your thoughts on that, but when you're meeting these people for the first time, it's a home inspection and they're seeing the house for the first time. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. It is. Yeah. And there's <laughs> still people, um, you know, occasionally that'll never see the house. They get the, they actually show up sometimes at closing. That was how it was back then. Yeah. Uh, during COVID and so yeah. on. So um, I try to do very, you know, there'd be agents that would be sending videos to the people and I try to do my very best and tell them the issues and stuff over the phone. And I would talk to them by phone and send them photographs and so on. Yeah, it's just wild. So this is going to seem like an easy question, right? But can anybody inspect a house? Uh, anybody can, but not legally. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So, I mean, there's legally in New York State, uh, you have to be a licensed home inspector, licensed architect, or a licensed engineer. Okay. And even the engineers and architects, architects uh, have to follow certain rules. They have to be working under the auspices of their job and being able to do an inspection that way. They can't just hang a shingle out and say, I'm going to be a home inspector without going through the home inspection courses. And so you just let it right into the next follow-up, right? What do you have to do to, to be a home inspection? I know you mentioned this a little bit in the earlier on in the, in the recording, but you know, I think it's just for people out there to know what they what you guys go through and yeah. what you have to go through sure. to obtain your profession. So you, it's uh, through the Department of State you acquire your license, and uh, you'd have to go through an approved course of 140 hours. Okay, 140. 140. Wow, that's, that's intense. That's it awesome. It is. And then uh, 40 of that has to be audited okay. on-site home inspection with a, with a licensed home inspector. Okay. And then you have continuing ed after that. Uh, every, your license is good for two years. And then in that time period, you have to have 24 hours of continuing ed, which is specific courses that the Department of State has approved. So the, so the continuing education is much similar to the realtors in terms of hours, not content. But I think the obtaining of the license oh, is yeah. a lot more, um, lot more intense. Just like I said, a lot more you know requirements. That's a lot of hours. It is, and it you know it comes out to I think it averages somewhere around five or six thousand dollars once you pay for okay. the, to go to the school for that and so on. Um, yeah, that's what it, what it requires. And in your case, your prior knowledge and, and prior careers, et cetera, really lent itself to that. Maybe your learning curve was a little bit different than somebody just decides someday that they think they're going to be a home inspector. You know, it <laughs> always amazes everyone. me that people um, think that, you know, hey, that looks like a good job and you can make a lot of money doing it, but they just don't. The depth of knowledge required yes. to, to really know what you're doing uh, is really deep. Um, some, you know, I, I, there's father-in-laws that come along sometimes, <laughs> and these guys are salty, and they know what they're doing. And the biggest compliment I get, it's a silent compliment, is when they follow me for about 10 minutes. And, then and they shut said, up. And they said, you're good. <laughs> and then they walk away, and they go follow their kids or whatever. And they like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. I so, love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, that is the best compliment. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah so you took, you took 100 and, 140 hours of continuing ed to just be able to inspect homes, but really... I mean, 30 years, right? Or yeah. 30 plus, 30 plus years? Right? Well, 20 with the fire department. Yeah. He's almost 20 inspection. for a home inspector. Yeah, so almost 40 years they've been doing 40 this. 40 years. Okay, and I was think I was just specifically talking about your experience even before this, right? So your framing, yeah. your construction, your form setting, yeah, that, all that experience that lends itself to this to this profession or knowledge knowledge base i mean it's you've been building it goes back to high school actually you've been building you've been building this for quite a while and so when you know when you think about somebody just who's new in the profession and you're just you're reaching deep in the bag every time you go into a home you're like this is i have all of these years of experience and this is culminating into this home inspection so it's really that's amazing. Right. In high school, actually, I really had a love for all things you know, trades related. Um, I went to Notre Dame High School, but half the day I went to BOCES to, do, yeah. to learn awesome. electrical, electrical trades. So I did that for two years. So by the That's time awesome. I was out of high school, I was able to be an electrician. And so you That's also, incredible. so you not only are a licensed home inspector, but you sit on some, you're, you're part of associations, right? Yeah. As well? Yeah. So you, the international, what did I put on here? I, I read it. International Ashy. Electrical Association? Yeah. or An American Society of Home Inspectors, ASHI. Yeah. 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 And they require you just to be a certified inspector. You have to have 50 audited inspections through them also. Okay. So I did that at the beginning. And then I think I said, did I see something about Code Council too? Mm -hmm. What is that about? Can you explain that? Yeah, it's just a organization that uh, like code enforcement officers belong to, and they just okay. talk about codes. And uh, it's a, a good, uh, the forums are a good base to go back on and so on. I should say this, though, that home inspection is not a code 
inspection. Mm -hmm. They're two separate things. Correct. Where some people okay. think they are, um, and many things are grandfathered in. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have what's, if you have like a new build, it would be the authority having jurisdiction, the AHJ is the code enforcement officer of that town. Mm -hmm. And he would be the one that would issue a building permit for a, a certificate of occupancy for any new build. Mm -hmm. And uh, they supersede our, as a home inspector, licensed okay. home inspectors, they're the people okay. that you have to listen to. But, um, you know, if we're missing railings and safety items, I bring them up, but they're not code things. I don't say this is section 294 of the... Right. Uniform building code, they do that. Right. The code enforcement officers, but we don't. Ours is different. Okay. Right. Okay. Yep. Sometimes I find that, like, we're in the middle of the home inspection, we're maybe pointing things out that might uh, be a finding during the appraisal. Again, if it's an FHA inspection or something right. like that, and you're you're great about saying, "Yeah, I might want to do something with this," but. Uh, fair enough to to tease out those two different things because I think everybody thinks, well, my home inspector came and said X, Y, Z. Now, why do I have to do this later? Right. That there is a hierarchy and there's a tier to that. Yeah, and that goes into sometimes people have unpermitted decks that are built. Yep. Um, finished basements. You yep. guys run into that all the time. Yep. You know? Yep, all e the time. Egress, right? Egress windows, yeah. Egress. Yep. Mm -hmm. All that. One thing I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about, Mike, is because, and I know you have a background in, in um, electricity, that um, sometimes in this area we run into the old stab block, we run into the Federal Pacific, um, yeah. even fuses in this area. What's your take on all of that? Because I was, I was participating in an in-service for agents the other day, and they said, well, fuses are fine. It's the human error related to that. You might not get an appraisal finding. And I thought, that's not my, what Mike would tell me. <laughs> Mike would tell me, run, run, run. So I wanted to pick your brain, because uh, those things come up a lot still, I feel, with the Federal Pacific boxes, fuses, and things like that. Yeah, so... How much time do I have? <laughs> Bring it on. This is one of my favorite topics. We might have I think to, it's we really might have important. To stop and replug in. I think it's really important for people to understand this. Okay, so you, you touched on a bunch of different things, but I'll start with the Federal Pacific. So, those are breakers that were that were actually came to the market in the late '60s, '70s. They used them right up to the uh, early '80s, and we run across them in homes. And what they are, what the issue with them are is uh, they were having house fires. And anytime there's a fire that's related to electrical, they'll pull the electric panel, they'll try and find out what's going on. They send it to the fire lab to sort that out. Well, they were testing the breakers, and if it was a 20 amp breaker that they thought had a problem, they'd run 20 amps through it. It wouldn't trip. 30 amps, 40 amps is still not tripping. So they started to have this pattern of these Federal Pacific breakers aren't tripping the way they're supposed to. Mm. So they went to Underwriter Labs, which is the, they basically certify all these, and they said, how did these guys get on the market to begin with? And they said, Federal Pacific, we let them do their in-house testing, and they forwarded it to, to us. Interesting. So they were, they, <laughs> long story short. We're not biased or anything. Yeah. yeah, they ended up forwarding fraudulent data. So that's oh, how it made no. it to the market. So. It's not only the breakers themselves that don't trip, but it's also the way that they connect to the, the stab block connection to the bus bar in the back. Okay. They're incredibly loose. They oh, don't okay. snap tight. So a lot of times when I pull the cover off, several breakers will just literally fall off. The only thing that's holding them on that bus bar is the cover itself. Unbelievable. So when you have loose electricity, loose electrical connections, it creates a higher resistance, yep. which, which creates yep. higher opacity than you have heat. It generates heat. And you get a high opacity at the back of a panel. I mean, that can lead to a house fire that can things can get get away from you very quickly. Yeah, because also what's down there, dust, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> things, flammable it, stuff. Yeah. And God forbid you have balloon construction. So you yeah, know, <laughs> right? So you know, the insurance companies are onto it now. And you've probably heard me tell clients. I said you might want to get a picture of the panel. Mm, yes, for the company. Yeah, insurance companies a lot of times are asking for pictures, and it saves the client a trip back over to get, get one. What they're looking for, they are looking specifically for, they want to make sure they're not fuses, and I'll get to that in a minute, but they also want to make sure they're not stab blocks. And Zinsco is another brand. You see more in Canada, but since we're close to Ontario, we see them here once in a while too. So the real issues there. But getting back to fuses, yeah, inherently they're not a hazardous problem. But they're so prone to people doing the wrong things with them. They overfuse them. If it tripped at 10 amps or 15 amps or 20 amps, all you need is a larger fuse, right? Put a bigger one in there. Why not? And you see it constantly. Some people were overfusing things. And then also, as people added circuits, there weren't enough circuits, so they would double tap onto yeah. these things. So you'd see a triple tapped fuse that is 30 amp when it should have been 15. 
So that insurance companies are wise to that also. So they also at that point are saying, fuses, we don't really want to insure this at this level. So um, once you get breakers, we'll reduce your fees of okay. what we're charging you guys. Um, but that's what uh, the issue with fuses is and sure. stab locks. Okay. So I know that another thing that is still around and is floating around is, is knob and tube electrical too. It and, is. And so what's the, is that kind of along the same lines? I've heard that, you know, hey, it's not a bad way to, you know, electricity. It's just that it becomes brittle, right? And then when you disturb it, it yeah, becomes the, an issue. The biggest thing, well, going back to what we originally talked about <coughs> was the lack of insulation in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Well, knob and tube insulation cannot be insulated. It can't have any insulation. It can't have insulation. Yeah, because of the heat, right? The heat, Again? yeah. So what happens is you have wiring going in some balloon construction house, knob and tube that goes all the way to the attic. At some point, somebody decided to insulate those walls. They've now insulated Got it. a design that was never meant to be insulated. Yes. So I let people know that and tell them, you have knob and tube in your house. Anytime I see it, and I have testers that tell if it's live or not, because some of it's been abandoned in place. Okay. And I let them know it's here. Um, your insurance company may ask specifically if it's in the house, and you may want to get this stuff changed out at the earliest opportunity to regular Romex. Yeah. Which is, I guess, it could be more affordable than you think, right? Right. I mean, electrical, I've had some of it done when I was remodeling my house, and, and I think that when people say, oh my gosh, I have to do this electrical work, you know, depending on what it is, right? Mm-hmm. It could be actually more affordable than what you're thinking. Right. You know, it's not a deal killer, I right. should say, right? Right, and blend you sleep a little bit better, too, every night, too. Yeah, absolutely. Really Peace yeah. of mind is yeah. everything. Well, and it's, an, it's a great chance, too, if you see that and you're like, okay, well, if you, you know, account for the cost and then you can upgrade, right? You can upgrade to, you know, a 20 amp circuit. That's be, is that what you're seeing more now is like 20 amp circuits, more than 15s or? In houses? Yeah. yeah it depends on, you know, around the kitchen area, you want 20 amps. Yeah. You know, the rest, 15 is fine. But people with the more electrical draws, they're bumping up from 100 amp is the minimum now. But you see more people during that process, Josh, they might say, hey, let's bump up the service and we'll go to a 200 amp yeah. at the same time. Right. Yeah. And then they'll have a new panel. Um, you know, it's a beautiful thing. All that new stuff. Really right. Because what is, I mean, the progression, right, was like 60 amps, right? Wait, if you see the older, like you see a home with four fuses in it, right? And then you get a 60 amp <laughs> service. I've seen it. My friend well, has sure. it. Oh, absolutely. Have, you know, and then absolutely. it goes to like what you typically see, like a hundred amp service, and then the one twenty five, one fifty, two hundred. Yeah, now, right? exactly. And so now we're breaking, peaking at two hundred. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of power coming I, in. I did a house in um, Spencerport, not that long. Mine was probably about five, not that long ago, five years ago. <laughs> it's and, all blurring uh, together. <laughs> they had literally a two two hundred amps coming into the same house. Whoa. Yeah, so it's a basically a 400 amp underground system. Were they Whoa. running like a shop out back or something? <laughs> no, no, it was I just mean, it was a, it was a bit of overkill. It was yeah. about a 6,000 square foot house, but you can oh, still wow. run that on 2,000 square feet. Wow. I, I mean, on 200, 200 amps. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because, I mean, I've seen people run, you know, like, you know, shops, right? You know, semi-industrial, you know, shops in their house where they have mills and lathes and things where they need some serious power. Yeah. And and that's fine. That's dandy to get another service for that. But 200, two 200 amp services, that's that's crazy. Yeah. I just did a dairy farm the other day, and they had three phase coming in, oh, and they okay. split off of that and fed the house and about three barns. They have quite an electrical oh, system wow. going out there. Yeah. And then, of course, we're seeing more um, generators now because I think right. of what we've been through in the last couple of winters and people kind of seeing that as maybe a go-to enhancement of a home. So are you seeing a little bit more, at least the connection there, if not a whole house generator? Yeah, not not yet in reaction to what we had last year. Okay. Um, we've talked about it a little yeah. bit, you and I. Um, but usually where I see generators is in older uh clientele okay. where they've needed oxygen those type Got of things it. makes sense that's usually where i see them okay. uh, but but they are definitely they're out there for sure yeah it's yeah. coming for sure yeah so what are some of the changes that you've seen in your industry over the years you've kind of touched on a few things but you know what from from now from when you began until now what are some significant things you've experienced, Mike? And what do you what are your kind of predictions for the future with home inspections? Yeah, so the um when I first started out, you could buy a package actually from the uh, American Society for Home Inspectors. They'd have this binder that you could buy, and you could buy these NCR papers, and you'd literally check them off and handwrite each of the things. There was no provision for putting photographs in it or anything. Oh. So I did that for about a month, and I said, there's got to be a better way. 
and I ended up looking at other inspection software. And uh, they've really, really progressed over time, over the last, um, if you look at even some of the early reports 20 years ago to now. So that's really progressed, having photographs, which is very helpful for everybody involved. Imagine me trying to describe something needed to be done in an attic, and you have no idea right. what we're talking about, what you're looking at. You is need something actually, illustrative. Right, and that, that's been really, really helpful. Uh, so that's changed a lot. Thermal imaging. I have a thermal imaging camera. Yeah, you do. It's that's so fun. cool. Everyone it loves is. it. It's, it's always the flashy <laughs> My tool. My kids all the cool stuff. Yeah. And again, that came from, you know, I was really experienced with that at the fire department. I was on the uh, buying committee for our first thermal imaging camera that was $35,000. Oh, cool. these, these tools are quite expensive sometimes. Yeah, and mine wasn't that, but back in the day when they first came out. And yeah. uh, they're amazing tools, the things you can do with them. I'm, I'm able to see a lot of things with them. Um, drones. I have a drone, and uh, drone is photography. You guys are into that too now, but uh, that's another thing that's come along. Yeah, yeah. Is that specifically for roofs? What other things are you using the drone for? Yeah, just okay. yeah for roofs. Sometimes there's a, a style of roof where you can't get up in the flat areas or twelve twelves and things like that where you don't. I'm not getting up. On yeah, and usually <laughs> I can see those good with binoculars, but there's yeah. some roofs. Uh, Italianates sometimes have a flat roof section. Yeah. You just can't get up there, and this that that's helpful for that. Okay. That's really cool. We're t we just did an episode uh, about technology in general. I think Mike could come back for that because I always tease him about his bag of tricks and all his technology he has. So yeah, it's, like, it's nice yeah. to see the crossover and the drone photography we've been talking about from a salesperson standpoint going into the inspection standpoint Mike's as well. Mike's the Mary Poppins of home inspectors. He <laughs> just keeps pulling stuff yeah, out Yeah, it's bag. amazing. Like, it's totally Do you know amazing. what this is? You know, this tests the electrical <laughs> connectors. Do you know what this is? You know, this yeah. is testing out this. I think what's amazing, what, I, what, what I've even learned today is that you really have been a pioneer in this in New York State, if you think about it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, you really have. Yeah. Um, it's kind of fascinating to know that there wasn't even the licensing course in our state until you really got going. You were in Connecticut and then came here, and you've really trailblazed. Yeah. Um, so you don't you don't earn the title of trailblazer without some wild stories. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I want to hear. All your wildest stories, and I know I've heard a few, but do you have any some? Some favorite stories you want to share with our audience, Mike? I have so many. I, I honestly can't remember them all <laughs> because they just keep coming up. How about bats? Bats are always my favorite. We didn't get into infestation and things like that, but I know you've got some some good guano stories and things like that. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, no, you're all right. I did a, uh, a church inspection about, uh, it had to be about 15 years ago, and I opened a door into a belfry that I don't think has been opened in 150 years. No. And I was buried with bat guano that just absolutely covered me, the pile on the floor at my feet. Um, so that was an experience. And I had another time I was in Attica, and uh, I didn't have my glasses on, and I put my head up in the hatch, and I could see some dark spot right in front of my face. So I put my glasses on and went back up, and I looked, and it was a bat that was wide awake just staring at me. <laughs> it was about six inches from my face. Wow. Excellent. No, no. Yeah. So that's, you know, I do have other bat stories too, but... Um, yeah, I've got an incredible amount of stories over the years where, you know, being chased by attackies, um, off properties. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Animals. I think you interface with animals a lot. I mean, we, we do it from yeah. a sales perspective. We've always got to be careful. But then certainly from the inspector's perspective, well, you're, sticking you're running your into them all You're sticking your head in places that people don't normally do, you know, storage sections and, yeah. you know, framed, out, framed and out attics and storage spaces back there. And it's just... You'd never know what you're going to find, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, speaking of finding things, I had a woman that her husband had passed away. She was probably about 80 years ago. It was maybe 10, 15 years ago. It was in Leicester, New York. And uh, so I'm doing the inspection, and I go into the attic. The house had multiple attics in it. So I go into one attic, and I see far away on a small little table, one box. There was nothing else in the attic. I went over to it. I opened up the box. And it was a brand new velour sweater, man sweater. Aww. So I brought it down, and she burst into tears. She goes, I was going to give this to my husband. I never couldn't remember. It was for Christmas. I oh, hid it away. Gosh. And uh, so I, that was not the end of it. So she was happy to get this velour sweater that was now out of, out of, out fashion, of fashion, but, by, but it, was, it meant something to yeah. her. So I go into another attic in the same house, the same day, the same woman, and I find a box up there. I start looking at it. And it was all the letters that her husband and her had corresponded in World War II when he was overseas. That's oh my amazing. Goodness. That is amazing. And she hadn't seen those in like 40 years. 
So oh my God, I brought, awesome I got that? goosebumps talking about it. So yeah. I brought it down and she was so moved. It was, it was incredible, but it was pretty neat. That's incredible. Yeah. Things that you Happy things. forget about after years and years of life and you brought them back. Yeah. Wow, that was good. Yeah, it was, good. it's pretty amazing. And evidence that, you know, a house is not just a house, it's a home and it has a life and things that we forget about and Great all of point. that. And it's just the home inspector's connection to that and to someone's life. Because at the end of the day, we always talk about this. This is a, a business about relationships and people, and that's the best part about it. We're all people, people to an extent. And look how far reaching your experience is in that regard. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's not a... It's not a transactionary business. I mean, it could be, but I've never looked at it that way, and I think that's what has allowed me to have the longevity doing it, and it's what brings me the most joy, those, those type of things. Absolutely. You know, connecting with the people and, and doing the home inspection. I always think it's nice to see and illustrate and build the story of a house because every home has a story, every building has a story, and so when you go through and you inspect it or you go through and you're selling it and you're looking at these houses and you're seeing, you're like, oh, this is what happened then, this is what happened then, and you can see different stages and you can kind of at the end culminate kind of a story, and then you pair it with the human factor it really is extremely unique and special yes and you know and that's what people get extremely emotional about sure and then you hire a realtor to completely detach yourself from it. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't get all emotional about this and you're like but it's so hard yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like salespeople that we can see multiple homes or we add to that chapter of that house maybe i I, I sold it to a couple. Now I'm listing it years later. I'm sure you've reinspected homes. I have, and that's got to be an interesting. You're you're adding to the tapestry of the story of the home. Yep, there's been some homes uh, that I've inspected three times over, over the years. I've actually seen my binder from back in the day uh, on people's counters, and they're probably displaying it. That's which wonderful. Is really good. Yeah, that's got to be really gratifying. Yep. That's amazing. Is there anything else, Mike, that are just some of your, your, your favorite things about this profession and um, things that you bring to the business that, like you said, it's not just transactional. It's certainly relational and, and kind of life-changing to so many people. Even when you've got to deliver the bad news, you've, you've helped them. Absolutely. It is. It's, uh, I look at it, you know, I, we live in Batavia. Um, I always want to be able to run into somebody at Tops and hold my head high yeah. and ask them how's things. And, you know, and I do. I run into a, a tremendous amount of people. And uh, so looking at it from that standpoint, I know you guys feel the same way. In these small towns, they keep you honest, and, which is a great thing. They keep you really focused on trying to do a good job for people and, and get them into the house, which is their, most, their biggest purchase, their most important thing. They're going to raise a family in it. I mean, it's, they're giving you the ball to carry. Absolutely. You know, you're trying to get it over the goal line and uh, doing a good job for them. You so, do the right, doing the right thing when the right thing isn't always the most popular thing. It, it's correct. Always. Sometimes it's tough and sometimes you grapple with that. But it's, you know, I could see you being in a unique position to be like, I don't want to tell you this, but I got to tell you this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. and that's just, I'm sure you've dealt with many, many, many folks where you're like, it is what it is. This is, this is how it is right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. And it's best to be honest about it. And I always, you know, during inspections, I try not to minimize anything. Mm -hmm. I let them know about it, sort of. Once you prioritize them, people appreciate that. But I try not to minimize anything and let them know about it. And at the end of the inspection, once they get the report and if they've been through the inspection with me, there's usually no surprises at all. Like, you know, he didn't mention this to me. Right. No, you know about it. We talked about it. And if you have more questions, I always... At the end of every inspection, too, I tell people, you know, uh, you call me in the next few days if you have questions, in the next few weeks, and in the next few years. If you have questions once you move in and you want to do some remodeling or you just have questions about a uh, mechanical item, shoot me a text, send me a picture, I can help you out. And sometimes I just stop over and see people. That's amazing. So, yeah. That's amazing. Mike Mullen with Welsher Home Inspections, uh, such an amazing resource, such an uh, important, wonderful colleague. Um, wonderful part of our community. Thank you so much for your time today. This was a pleasure. great, great interview. I think we could be here all day long. I think we'll have you back. I want to talk more about your cool tools <laughs> yeah, and things like that. <laughs> but I also don't want to let you get out of here without, uh, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah. Uh, you can, I have a pretty big website, so I'm the last of eight kids. So my <laughs> website, it's simple to remember, it's the number eight of eight. Oh. com and I got that 20 years ago too believe it or not. That's so cute. So 8of8.com or you can also dial 343 
Sure, S-U-R-E, which is 7873, which is uh, my Dwellshire home inspections. Yeah, and you're extremely responsive, and yep. your schedules, like we said, are always changing, so don't hesitate to give them a call, really, folks. It's, I really can't recommend you as enough. Thanks, Josh. I mean, you, you're the guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Mike's the man. Everybody says that. Thank, and we always get such a thank you. Thank you so much for connecting us with Mike Mullen. I said, yep. Yeah. And maybe next time he'll bring his bagpipes and he'll do that too. <laughs> yes. I love this. Man of many, many talents. And we just learned about more today. So Mike, <laughs> thanks again so much. Don't hesitate to contact Mike Mullen, Dwellshire Home Inspections. He goes far and wide. And trust me, it'll be one of the best things you ever do for your home ownership. Thanks for having me today, guys. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in with us today. We hope to see you next time. We're going to be doing this a lot more, so to be sure to leave us a review and a rating as it lets us reach more people and lets us know how we're doing. We hope you're doing well. Cheers until next time.